sorry, there was one called Moon People. It's a science fiction book, right? The best rated negative review for that book said, I still don't know how to moon people. Nobody told me this wasn't a, this wasn't a how-to manual. Hi, I'd like to welcome you to our show. I'm your host, Brang Medic. We're talking about life as a child of God and all things related to his kingdom. Thanks for joining us. If you're a new listener to the show, you can find articles and books and other resources on my website, www.prayingmedic.com. You can also connect with me on Twitter. Just look for Praying Medic. Now let's jump into this week's show. My guest on today's show is my friend Steve Bremner, who is a fellow podcaster, fellow blogger, fellow author, and a missionary to Peru. Steve and I are going to talk books today. I hope you enjoy the show. So I wanted to go a little bit more into the process of publishing books. We both are seeing some interesting trends in publishing. The advent of digital print-on-demand and eBooks. I think Amazon is predicting that there are going to be more ebooks sold in 2016 than print books for the first time in history. Really? I've, I've heard that already before. I don't know. If oh, that's, really? I don't know. I, I don't know if you know what I hear is correct or not. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so. I think the crossover is either going to happen late this year or early next year. But there's definitely more demand for ebooks lately. And uh, I had a dream about a month ago where I was publishing a lot more ebooks. What do you think about the value of ebook publishing? The way I look at it is when I'm writing a book, I'm writing an e-book. You know, easily 95% of my, my sales are e-books as opposed to printed books. But at the same time, because I, I do print on demand like, like CreateSpace, um, the only way somebody can buy my, a print version of my books so far is if they're on Amazon anyway. So I write with the idea in mind that it's, it's basically an e-book. More so than, you're basically targeting the ebook reader from the get-go? Yeah, mostly because like I said, like the vast majority of my books are ebooks not the print books. So that being said, it's like I'm keeping in mind the formatting issues of the way I write things is is primarily going to be seen on someone's, you know, Kindle or their digital reader, a phone app, whatever the case may be. If if my book is like long enough, it's not just some bite-sized thing then I, ba- I do make a print-on-demand version of it. The way I read is predominantly Kindle. I go and I buy it. It's on my Kindle in a moment, uh, not this, you know, wait a day or two for it to come in the mail and stuff anymore. But the reason I want to have printed books available is because if I'm going to, if I, I give a gift to somebody, you know, it's like if I'm going to give someone a copy of my book, I want to give them a tangible copy of the book. You know, I, uh, but as far as my reading habits go, I, I pretty much read everything on my my Kindle. When someone says, "Hey, I bought you this book. Uh, wh- where can I send it?" or whatever, I'm like, oh, "So that means it's going to be a while before I get to read that." <laughs> or you know what I mean? Like, um, I got to look at my calendar and see where I'm going to be then. Or it's like, "Well, you know what? Don't send it to Peru. Send it to Canada. Or, or I've got a friend in the states coming. Send it to this address, and they'll bring it with them." Um, yeah. You know. So for me, it just there's so many ways Kindle or digital is my, my preference, both as a reader and as a writer. 
what are the headaches and pitfalls and the advantages of actually formatting a book for ebook publishing? Things you like, things you don't like about the process. Well, like I said, I've I've formatted a lot of people's books for them, and one headache is when they have a specific font or a layout or something in the print version and they want it to carry over into the Kindle version. And it's like, that's not going to happen. Not only will the font not work, but when, when a reader uses their, their smartphone or their, their tablet, it'll, the font will automatically change to whatever the default font settings are on that person's device. So there's, it's kind of like, I like and I hate. I like it for myself um, that I don't need to worry about certain formatting issues because Kindle takes care of some of these things for you unless you're you're doing a very image-based book, then that's kind of like you you really have to figure out how you want it to, to work in Kindle. But when I'm formatting books for other people, that that's a headache. If they, if they have a preference for how they want it to turn out, um, chapter headings and things like that, that's, that's fine. You can kind of work around that. I was reading a book recently, and it, it's a very image-heavy book, and it's like you, you get to the end of text, and if the picture didn't fit on your screen, you have to kind of hit the swipe and go to the next page. And then you see the picture. And there's so many ways that this particular book is just ugly uh, in the Kindle version. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But that's the way I have to settle for it if I'm, if I'm going to read it. Um, and so, so there's that kind of stuff, like depending on what kind of formatting you want to do. I was reading Martin Short's biography. Uh, it came out around Christmas, so it was something I read. I mean, I enjoyed it. He's He's from... Uh, Hamilton, which is like, I was born in Brantford, which is like the city over. So there's so many ways that like, you know, oh, he's got a biography. I want to read about this. Uh, but he's a famous Hollywood comedian now. And um, and I'm reading it. And he's got all these pictures at the back. And I'm like, well, that's that's really how you should do it then. You know, instead of trying to insert pictures all the time in your text, uh, there are, there's a whole bunch of them at the back with their captions and stuff. So like on a Kindle version, I, I don't know how he did it in the, the, the print copy, but the Kindle version, there's certain challenges if you want your book to look a certain way. You just can't, really. If you're just writing and all you're doing is communicating, then that doesn't matter. You just you know, get your point across and worry about that kind of stuff. That was one of the things that I learned very quickly when I started taking my education in, in Kindle publishing, is that images do not translate really well to Kindle books. They just right. don't. Essentially, when you publish a Kindle book, you're publishing a web page. I mean, mm-hmm. that's how it's formatted. It's, it's a formatted as an HTML page, and it does weird things with images. And if you try to put in formatting and spacing and line breaks and paragraph breaks and all these other things, which you can do very easily in a print book, they're really difficult to pull off in, in an right. e-book. Uh, my, my Kindle uh, cookbook, my Peruvian cookbook, we decided we want each recipe to have pictures, but I made the book, you know, like I constantly was plugging in my Kindle by USB and going to the Kindle to see how it worked, see how it looked. So having large pictures was was useless, but having them in such a way where they're small enough that the formatting isn't a big deal, but yet you can look at the picture and get an idea of how to compare it to if you're you're cooking the recipe. I knew going in the challenges of pictures. But the other reason I wanted pictures in my book is because a lot of like cookbooks that I would get on the Kindle don't have pictures. Another, there's another aspect about the file that you upload to Amazon is um, if you enroll it in Kindle. I don't know if you realize this or you probably you probably do. 
<laughs> but if you enroll it in KDP Select, right, the larger your book file is, Amazon starts to kind of dock a little bit. You know, you pay a few cents or whatever for every download. And so the larger the file is, the more money you lose. And so I get why a lot of uh, cookbook authors don't or haven't put a lot of pictures or any pictures in their books because then it becomes so large of a file that it's not worth it to do that, especially if you enroll it in KDP Select and they dock off you know, a part of your earnings for how large the file is. So, I mean, I would have to shrink all my files so that they were tiny but yet still visible. Uh, and it's not like it's a long cookbook. It's got 40 recipes in it. But making that was a bit of a headache. It doesn't look amazing on your Kindle or on your tablet, but at least it was like I made it knowing ahead of time how it looks and how it turns out in Kindle, you know? I'll bet you learned a lot about formatting in the process. <laughs> I sure did. <laughs> Quite sure the education. Did. Yeah, I knew that Kindle took off some of your royalties based on the size of your data file. I didn't know that it was just for the unlimited. That's interesting because my book that I have on economic collapse has a bunch of charts in it. Not a lot, a few. And I'm trying to, I'm going to have to work through the process of getting those to display the way I want them to so they're not yeah. chopped off and causing all kinds of issues. Um, so long as you have a bottle of uh, Advil handy, <laughs> um, you'll be fine. So. so let me ask you this real quick. Are you, You're using Scrivener for your ebook publishing. Yes. Yeah, I just started the trial version of Scrivener, and I'm going to download and sign up for the paid version off of your website. So I like Scrivener so far. I'm right. still kind of a Word, Microsoft Word person. My editor is using Word, so I end up having to convert things to Word to send to her anyways. But yeah. just for the ease of converting your document to an ebook. Scrivener is worth the price of admission. Exactly. Oh my exactly. gosh. That is so um, good. I wrote the Tongues book in Scrivener and converted it into Moby and, and look at it on my own Kindle device to make sure it looks decent and stuff like that. For me, it's worth its price, not just because of the conversion. You know, you can convert it into Word and stuff, but for how easy it is to organize a bunch of yeah. things in the same document you know, like a long book or something like that. Uh, for me, that's where it makes its money back for me, you know? Yeah, I'm starting so. to use that because I'm writing books where I have to do a lot more research. I'm grabbing links to uh, blog posts and web pages, and I'm taking long sections of discussions and data. And with Scrivener, you can create all these different folders and documents and uh, a research section where you can just throw links in there. It's kind yeah. of cool because you can organize all of your ideas. You have all your stuff kind of stored in one place. Right now, using Word, that's not such an easy process. So I'm kind of new to Scrivener, but I think I'm going to like it a lot more as as I go. Yeah, that's how I was. I had it on my computer for like a year before I gave it a shot. Now it's just such second nature to me. The learning curve is steep. Um, I also have on my site a, a link to get a, a training software for it. But at the same time, now that I've gone up that steep learning curve, it's my preferred method of, of writing, my preferred word processor. Yeah, well, I'm moving into a place in my life where I'm starting to see myself more as a professional writer. And when you start to think about being an actual professional writer who's trying to maybe run a business, or, because that's how I 
you know, a lot of people see their writing as their ministry. Right. I do not see my writing as a ministry. I see it as as a business. Well, I see it as both for me. Yeah. I mean, I, I realize that it, because it's a spiritual production, it is a ministry, you know, in a sense. Right. But we don't, my wife and I don't run it as a nonprofit. So we don't have a 501c3. We have an LLC. We have a business license. We pay taxes. Mm-hmm. And we run it as a traditional business. So because I'm looking at things from that perspective, I realize that as a business person, there are just certain tools that you're going to have to have if you're going to run a business successfully. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of funny because we got a tax professional who uh, has been helping us do our business taxes. And we came to him at the end of uh, the year, the tax year this year, showed him all of our information. He goes, oh, you actually made some money this year. He goes, <laughs> <laughs> and I, we said, why is that unusual? He goes, oh, yeah. He goes, that's very unusual. He said, there's a lot of people that have these, you know, an LLC and they technically have a business, but none of them make any money. Right. Um, he goes, you guys actually made some money, so you're going to have to pay in some taxes this year. We actually ended up paying a lot more taxes than we anticipated because we had made actually made some revenue last year. Right. And that's one of the things that's been difficult for me because I've never wanted to run my own business. I never wanted to have, I never wanted to publish a book. I never saw myself as a writer. Certainly didn't want to be self-employed. I had always envisioned myself working for somebody else, letting them collect the money, pay the taxes, <laughs> here's your paycheck, you know, right. every two weeks. I'd always kind of see myself as that type of person. But my wife has encouraged me to step out of that mindset and into more of an entrepreneurial business person mindset, which is mm-hmm. difficult because that's not who I've always been. So I'm learning. And picking up tools like Scrivener is part of the process. One of the things that I ran across with publishing eBooks is we had purchased some software that we used to publish our first two books as eBooks, and it worked great. But when I went to publish my last book, Seeing in the Spirit, it wouldn't work. We could not get the formatting. It would export a zip file. We would upload it to Kindle, and it would say unrecognized file format. <laughs> so we had to find some other way to export an eBook. And I ended up using uh, the Smashwords process, okay. which is such a headache. You have to create an art, uh, a rich text file, strip out all the formatting, create a bare bones document, and then put the formatting back in, just minimal formatting, which creates a pretty good ebook, but it's a long process because you have to go back and put in italics and bold and bullets and everything else manually into the document. Well, then I'll definitely not be using Smashwords ever. Oh, <laughs> gosh. But you know, well, you know the what thing you is, it creates, it creates a really good looking ebook. Uh-huh. that flows well on a multitude of different formats. But it is it is kind of a headache to do it because, you like, I took my document that I got back from Lydia, a Word document, and then I had to remove all of the formatting. But doesn't, which, doesn't Smashwords accept EPUB files? They do. Because then in Scrivener, you can write and export as an EPUB and send that to them, I would assume. Right, but before I had Scrivener, right, you didn't know I was, that yet. I was still hammering away with my chisel and my rock, uh, right. trying to get things done the old-fashioned. Now way. you've got the jackhammer. Now I've got the jackhammer. I've gone to bookbaby.com uh, since I, since deciding on putting my books into other places besides Amazon. They charge twenty dollars a a book, and then they take like ten or fifteen percent of your your profit. 
um, which is, you know, economically, that's how I needed to do it instead of the 300 or whatever dollar um, packages they had. And so um, they take EPUB, but what made life difficult for me is you can't put links to like comp- competing locations. So like, so typically my, <laughs> yeah, no affiliate links, not that I have very many of them, but uh, I couldn't, like if I say like, I'm also the author of this book, this book, and this book, and they have like Amazon links, well then they, well they, if you submit it to like a website like that, I don't know how Smashwords is. They're the same but, way. No, yes, no competing links. So you basically, it has to be the bare bones thing. Right. And uh, I don't sell a buttload of copies outside of Amazon. Like, you know, I sell more digital versions of my books in the other stores than I do print even. But for the the most part, Amazon is where they're selling. And, you know, I've enjoyed Scrivener for this reason, where I can export the EPUB. And you know this, I'm saying it for the listeners. Mobi is pretty much Amazon. And then EPUB is like any and everybody else. Um, So you're kind of torn because... So long as you can make it look in EPUB, and I think I think it's an accepted format if you upload an EPUB to Amazon. They'll, yeah, they convert it to a Mobi file. Yeah, but it doesn't it doesn't tear up a lot of your formatting or anything like that if you go from EPUB to Mobi in that process. Nope. Nope. But it's it's you know you still have to double check. But you know again like that's an, an, you know not to be uh, you know Scrivener. I've got a link on my site, and yeah, I get a small commission if you if you buy it from my link and stuff. Uh, but like, that's not why I'm extolling them. <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> I just as a writer and how I use it. And you know, when I think of the process for uploading my first book to Amazon, and you know, undoubtedly the first time you do something is you know it takes you longer than it will afterwards. I think of all the ways Scrivener and exporting how that's kind of streamlined a lot of the process for me. With it, it just eliminates a few steps in the process. So I'm not uploading a Word document to Amazon and then seeing if it worked. Because even if you go to these websites and they have, for example, like Amazon, and, and you're logging in and you, you upload your file, you still don't really see how the book truly looks on your device when you're using their their fake reader there on the page. You know, I mean, it might look a certain way on that, but it's still not even really giving you the 100% idea until you, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I don't buy my own books, you know, just so I can see them. Uh, you know, that's why making the Mopi file works. You know, there, there, there's so many ways. Like if, if, if you're like me and you have a Kindle device, then you, you can write in Scrivener, hook up your USB to your computer, and then save your file to your Kindle and then double check and make sure it's how you want it to, to look. You know, I've got a Kindle Fire tablet and a Kindle Paperwhite, so I, I double check them both to get an idea of how it's going to look for the, the average reader. And you have two Kindles, and I don't even have one of my own. You that's should not, that's have not fair. Well, my wife has them. She has a, a very old Kindle, this Kindle that I got for her for a birthday present about four years ago. Well, technically, um, both of my Kindles are gifts. Um if I'm going to recommend a Kindle, it's the Kindle Paperwhite. You know, that's the you one. Like that, it. Oh, I love it. Because it's my third Kindle. And being able to read in the dark, and it's easy on your eyes. It's not like having your phone or a, a, a LED screen in your eyes. Like, there's no strain. It's like reading a, it's like reading a paper book. Because for yeah. a while, you know, like, I just had a normal Kindle. My wife didn't like it. Uh, and I'd had it for years before getting married. So now I can't turn the light on because it would keep her up. 
and I'd read her on her tablet. I'd, I'd use the Kindle app and I, I could feel the difference, you know? So like if someone's going to get a Kindle and you're not interested in a tablet, uh, I'm happy with the Kindle, Kindle Paperwhite. But, Maybe I should put that on my Christmas list for something my wife can get me. <laughs> but that's another, you know, if you're talking about being an author and having, or, sorry, being a uh, business person and having the right tools and stuff, um, I would I would say that a Kindle device of your own is a necessary part of your, your toolbox because yeah. I, I've, I've had other authors who don't have Kindles. They basically send me a, a version of their book that they've just kind of run through some kind of Kindle converter on the internet and it's just crap you know like when you get it on your end and and right. they and they don't they don't know for themselves how it turns out or how it looks and so that's why I do the thing where I plug in my my Kindle via USB to make yeah. sure it's turning out how I want it I think that's a really good quality assurance tool and my wife does have she has her Kindle and oh well then there you be, go yeah before we publish we do download the file and we transfer it to her Kindle and she looks at it and if it's not right we go back to the drawing board and reformat because she's she's really uh, very fussy about how things display. Um, All right, changing gears like you wanted. Changing gears. So you said that you got hooked up with Destiny, and they're now publishing one of your books. Right. Have you signed a contract with them? Is it just a one book deal? What's your situation with Destiny? Right. Um, it, well, one thing that the contract did say is that I'm not supposed to, like, divulge details of it. <laughs> no, but I'm serious. It does, it That's does, okay. Like, so, so it's like a five-page contract, and it's pretty standard, uh, and it is a multi-book deal. I show them, it's called, it's, no, right of... Right of first refusal. First refusal. Um, so long as something I write is more than 40,000 words, I have to show it to them, and, you know, they can say, nah, we don't, we don't want that, we don't think it'll sell. And I have to do that with my next three books. It's it's interesting because I talked to you early in the process when they <laughs> approached me. Uh, my friend Brad Herman, I, I think you're acquainted with him too, I suppose. Um, he he reached out to me saying, I now I now work for Destiny Image, and I knew him from uh, a mutual friend who got me in touch with him on Facebook, and I knew from talking to him before that he, he owns a bookstore and, you know, so he's well-versed in this stuff right. and uh, had, had encouraged me about my tongues book that, that it was something he thought could sell well. And, and so he, he writes me a message saying he showed it to his boss in his department or whatever, like acquisitions. He, he works for the acquisitions. And, um, and he said his boss liked it and to, you know, reach out to me. And, and I said no without even thinking about it because... Uh, Destiny Image is well known over the years for making the author pay for half of the cost. Right. So it's kind of, it's kind of like a, a, a you know a mix of vanity and traditional publisher. Like the author pays half the cost, and I'm like I you know we're we're barely getting by as it is with books and support and stuff. We can't afford to pay like fifteen thousand dollars to print thousands of books, and I and I wasn't like a you know it wasn't a false sense of humility, but it was like. I'm not big enough. That's just the reality of where your what your situation is. Exactly. Like I'm I don't know big. of very many authors who could plunk down twelve to fifteen grand to have their first book published. Right. right. And so I said I said no right away. I didn't even pray about it. I didn't even think about it. I just said, Hey Lily, a publisher wants a book. <laughs> I, mean, I made it, but I had to say no. I so, made it. <laughs> no, but it's like on the one hand it's very validating, like a publisher 
Okay, like for the listener's benefit, if they don't already know something like this, a, t- a typical publisher gets thousands of manuscripts, you know, every so many months and only will publish like less than five of, of them. And so this idea that someone was saying, hey, your book is is of such a quality, we, we think we want it, you know, and we, we think it can make both of us money. Um, you know, that was validating, but I'm like, I can't, I can't go down this path where I know you guys want me to pay half it. And so Brad wrote me back and said, no, we don't do that anymore. And so I'm like, okay, well, I'm listening then. <laughs> you, <know? laughs> you were one of the people I reached out to because when I was talking to Brad, he told me they had contacted you and you said no, <laughs> you know? And so I, I wanted I did to hear, say no. <laughs> yeah. I'm not selling the volume of copies that you are. So uh, it is true that with traditional publishing, you get a much smaller royalty than you do when you're self-publishing. You know, like Amazon, you get 70% of what you sell. And, you know, a traditional for, for publisher... An, for an ebook, Amazon's yeah. print royalty is 35%. Right. And so it's like that. And so with a traditional publisher, it could be anywhere between 10, 15, uh, depending on the company, depending on the contract you sign. But it's smaller. That's the, that's the point. It's smaller. Right. So there was a lot of pros and cons, and I didn't really make a decision or sign a contract until I think it was February or March. Um, he he to, like Brad told me around December. Okay, you know it went through all their channels, and and so here that we're going to send you a contract. And then I never heard anything ever again for like two months. <laughs> so, so I assumed it's, it must not be happening then. And then when he did get back back in touch with me, yeah, there was a contract. Uh, sent to me. But by that time, I, you know, talked to a lot of people. And there's pros and cons, you know, as you know, uh, and, and if you know, you're free to jump in with with other other cons or pros. But um, like, for example, like, um, I, I know what you told me when we were chatting, but like, why? Why did you say no, for example? Well, I am in a very unique situation. And I am strongly biased. And I feel that there's a trend in publishing that I am really championing. I wished that more authors would seriously consider taking self-publishing as a good way to go. Most authors have traditionally felt like their only validation in the world comes from having a publisher accept their manuscript, you know, offer them a contract, and then they feel like they've made it. And I think that is a very old world view of looking at publishing and, and writing. I think that the game has changed so dramatically in the last 15 years. I really think traditional publishers and vanity publishers are on the ropes. I think they're a little bit desperate to to get authors, and I think they're willing to – I think they have to make the uh, enticements to come over and sign a little bit sweeter because they know that self-publishing is a lot easier than it used to be. Right. 20 years ago, nobody self-published. Right. And I agree. I agree with you uh, mostly. Like for me, my, my I'm kind of joking about the validation. I have friends who they have books and they have novels and they are desperately waiting for a, a publisher to come along and accept their manuscript because they just believe that is the validation that they're looking for. Right. And I think while I respect that because that's how things have traditionally been, if you want to be a serious writer, I think that that is a waste of time. To, to hold right. on for that. Right. And I agree with you about waiting and waiting for it to happen because like, like, you know, I, I self-published and I, I mean, I, I can answer and explain the reasons I decided to sign the contract. Um, 
but one, you know, like uh, S.J. Hill, he's a, a published author. He, you know, he said to me, you know what, Steve, if I were you, I would just give it to them because you're like 33 and you've written something that a publisher wants. They must see a reason like why they want this book. And I know other guys who are like in their 50s, 60s, and they've shopped around their manuscript to like 20 publishers and nobody wants it. And then here you are, they're just coming to you and they want it. Don't be stupid. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, but you sign over your rights. That's another, that's a con or a pro, depending on how you look at it, but it's it's kind of a con. You sign over your rights to the book and it belongs to the publisher. It's not yours anymore. And I'm like, this was that book that was ready to burst out of me. So do I want to hand this over? And, and, you know, I had other people that were like, no, don't do it. Uh, This this is your baby you're talking about here. Exactly. (laughs) And I ultimately went with the idea that this can be a door opener. And the contract stipulates my self, like I can't self-publish a book that's more than 40,000 words, but I can keep on self-publishing short. Without giving them first right of refusal. Exactly. So it's kind of like, and then other things I asked for in the contract they they gave me without arguing and um so th- things like with the audiobook things like translating it into spanish uh things that were important like if i'm signing this over because uh, you know one thing sj told me uh he's you know he's even he's been published with other author other publishers is um you know there's a book of his uh the publishing company went out of business and then the one that acquired it um isn't printing it anymore and so he was like, make sure to n- like negotiate that uh, if they stop selling the book or printing it, that it somehow reverts, the rights revert back to you. So like I had people like him and Dr. Crosby, other people uh, who were seasoned authors, self and traditionally published. Uh, and, you know, I was getting like 50-50 good and bad advice. And the bad advice was things like, you know, Steve, don't take this the wrong way, but you're you're kind of a nobody author. And so... You'll go into debt unnecessarily and have boxes of your book in your basement for like <laughs> the next 20 years. And and, the, and one author I talked to published with him in 1999 and is a, de- a decently known author and, in, or an international speaker. And he told me, you know, Steve, I still to this day have about a thousand copies left of my book. I know what you're talking about. May may not be the same guy, but that is a risk if you're going with a vanity publisher and they say, "Look, we're going to require you to buy twelve or fifteen thousand dollars worth of books up right. front." I said no, but then he told me there's no minimum purchase required, but I only get like sixty percent off or something for the copies uh, that I buy. Like I forget what it is, but I get a discount. But there's no minimum copies, you know, that no minimum amount required. I right. mean, there's so many details I, I don't I don't know that I'm allowed to, to talk about as no, per the contract. And I don't want you to violate. The, yeah, I don't want you to violate the terms of the contract by talking about it. But I was I'm pleasantly surprised uh, because of all the horror stories other people told me of of what happened to them when they, you know, not with Destiny Image, but like in general publishing, uh, losing the rights to their books, you know, and then they can't get the book published anymore. And, you know, I showed the contract to a few people before I signed it, and everybody was like, wow, I wish, you know, when I signed something, it was like this. Or um, yeah. So, like, you know, there's pros and cons, and I remember talking to Jeremy about this, and, you know, the con is the royalty. There's cons, like, when you go traditional publishing, you make less per copy, 
But at the same time, like I told you, nobody's buying the print version of this book. Yeah, it's not like you're making $3,000 a month off of royalties. Right. So what are you really losing if you so, take a smaller cut in royalties? Right, and 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 even if it sells modestly, I don't know that they print like 1,000 copies anymore. I think they – I think, but I don't know, they do a print-on-demand type of business model. But say that they, they put it in a bunch of bookstores – then that's already gain compared to how it does now because the only place people can buy the print version of my book is on Amazon. It is through CreateSpace, right? Right. So even if it's like kind of a flop or whatever, it's more successful <laughs> than I am right now <laughs> with the print version. So there, there's yeah. there's give and take. But you know what um, what Brad told me that time was that he mentioned you was like you know he's making it happen. You know, Praying Medic is making it happen. So like yeah. I can see why he wouldn't. Uh, right, and I have a sure. different situation. Exactly. Yeah, my situation is very different. You know, as much as I'd like to see people go the route of self-publishing, because I don't think it's as difficult as it was a few years ago, and I think that because you do sacrifice certain things, like and those sacrifices may or may not, at the end of the day, mean anything. Because if you're writing traditional, straightforward content that isn't too controversial, the loss of editorial control may not be a big deal to you. Mm -hmm. But if you're writing stuff that's really edgy and kind of out of the box and controversial, and the editor c comes down and starts whacking out big chunks of your manuscript, that may become a big issue. It just mm -hmm. depends on what it is that you're writing. And that right. has happened to at least one friend of mine. Um, the other issue is, yeah, you do sacrifice royalties when you go with a, a vanity or a traditional publisher, the but way, you're not yeah. making a lot of money on royalties anyways what are you really sacrificing? Exactly. For example, if, if I mean, there's, there's no guarantee with a publisher that your book will sell. You know, right. a lot of people assume, um, to my surprise, most people don't care. Um, you know, when I finally announced or let people know that we were with a publisher, I got like no feedback. Nobody cared. Nobody, <laughs> you know right. what I mean? Like it's, it doesn't right. matter to people. Uh, I don't say that in a self-deprecating way. I say it like, at first, we were keeping that to ourselves because, like, we're trying to, to go to Canada this year. We've, we've been crowdfunding uh, to, to raise the money for it. And I didn't want people to think, oh, you're an author now. Don't they, they give, like, big, huge advances. Why do you need money? Or, or whatever misconceptions people have about, about publishing, about authors. So we hesitated to let people know at first for a while. Uh, and then when the cat was kind of out of the bag, I, I sent a newsletter out and crickets <laughs> like you know people like sj who you know he's enjoying god book who knows how many copies he sold you know but he'll tell you like no you know people don't you, you don't make a living off of like one book or a few books or you know but people think like you're rich if you've written a book and, and so i was worried about that being in my position as a missionary uh, and, and kind of blending support with royalties and and other freelancing things i do I, the last thing i wanted to do is make people think we we still didn't need support or help or whatever. So yeah. so we were we were keeping that to ourselves at first. But yeah, and I and I understand that. <laughs> you know, like I said, I'm in a very different situation than you are. I have been very blessed by God with a team that allows me to self-publish in a very cost-effective model. I don't have to pay a graphic designer to do my interior design files and to do my book covers. My wife is a graphic designer. She has a lot of skill and knowledge on doing those things. So I don't have to pay for a graphic designer. 
Lydia, she edited uh, Divine Healing. And she did a really good job editing my first book, so I hired her on at her for her going rate. I am actually paying her the same rate now that she charges everybody else because mm-hmm. her work is so good. I didn't feel right asking her to give me a discount. If you have a forty thousand word manuscript, you know, and you're paying your editor, you know, three or four cents a word, that's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. It ends up being around twelve, fifteen hundred dollars per book to edit, and it's kind of interesting because I get into these discussions with people. They they have a view that Christians should never charge for anything that's connected to ministry because you're being, uh, you're serving mammon, you're, you're, it's all about filthy lucre, you're trying to get rich. <laughs> they have this idea in their mind that it's okay if you have a, a fish market and you charge people $8 a pound for fish, and if you help sell a shoe store and you sell your shoes for $35, that's okay. But if you write a book and publish it, it's not okay to put, charge any money for that if you're a Christian. Then you should give it away. (laughs) I was of the same viewpoint. That's the weird thing is three years ago or four years ago, before I published my first book, I felt like I had to give my my stuff away. Well, you don't want to charge for the gospel. You don't want to be profiteering off of what God's revelation. And my wife had to sit me down and slap me across the face a couple of times and say, look, it's going to cost us money to publish this book. You're going to have to pay Lydia some money. You're going to have to do some advertising. We did. We probably spent $10,000 in advertising the first year that we were publishing. Did you Other break than, even, though? We might have broken even with the number of books that we sold, but we certainly didn't make a profit off of the advertising. If anything, what the advertising did was it got the word out to a larger audience of people that we were actually doing stuff. So we took out some XP banner ads. We took out some... Uh, email blasts with uh, different charismatic ministries. And we did some Facebook advertising. So my wife is, she's like, look, we're going to run this like a business. It's going to be a business. We're going to have to do marketing and promotion Mm -hmm. and it's going to cost some money. You know about Facebook advertising. Which I, every time I do, like for me, I'm getting diminishing returns. Yeah. I'm not even doing it anymore because they booted me off of Facebook months ago and I kind of got back on, but I'm not, I'm leaving again pretty soon. So well, my my thing is is every time I do Facebook advertising, I it just is crappier than the previous time. Like yeah. 2013 or so, that was the bomb. You know, that was the that was when I was get it was worth it was worth it to pay 25 or 50 dollars or that something. That was the only time we saw any return on our investment in advertising. We the first couple of promotions we did, we seemed to get a bump in sales when we were spending money on Facebook, but immediately after that 2014 nothing. I have a better Well, here, let me let me tell you about uh I, I know you said earlier you wanted to talk about Kindle Unlimited. This might segue into that. Um back around July I decided to do a Kindle countdown promotion on my Tongues book. It, the digital version sells for nine ninety nine, and I decided to do like a week where I started off at ninety nine cents. Then after forty eight hours, it went to a dollar ninety nine, and then next day another dollar. You know, and so by the next weekend, it was four ninety nine for the final two hours. This time, I planned that one in advance. I got an ad on, you know, gospel ebooks. Dot net or dot right. com, whatever. Right. And um, so when it was two ninety nine, he posted the the ad, and somewhere else, I forget what the other ad was, but only only about a hundred dollars of my time, including Facebook ads. And so on the first day, when it was ninety nine cents, and I had friends sharing the link, I think you probably did uh, as well. 
it got to like number 1700 something in Amazon, in all of Amazon. It was like number one in Protestantism. That's, even, that's not know? bad. Yeah. Well, yeah, but it's the only time I've ever had that happen. Right? <laughs> but that's the other thing, too, is if you want to talk about authors who don't understand what kind of promotion they need to do for their, their, their material, right? They just throw it on Amazon and think it will sell. Yeah, this, this, part, this, this part of the show is going into all about marketing, promotion, and getting the word out. So, okay. Free reign. So, yeah, there you go. So, um, But this was like a month of advanced kind of planning and, and budgeting and whatever. And... So the first day, the Monday or whatever, it was 1700 something in Amazon, and that was the highest, like it peaked. And then the day that Gospel eBooks ran a thing, it was the same thing. Like I kept it at 499 for like a week or two, and then raised the price to 999 again. Uh, for those weeks, it, it kept doing good. Like it got a good, good exposure from that promotion. And through no amount of foresight on my part, that was when Kindle Unlimited came out. Right, and so now, so now I started getting a buttload of borrows. You know, people are getting at my, your book for free. Yeah, and now like a seventy percent royalty when you sell like a ten dollar book. You know, seven dollars per copy um, is much better than the two point something you get from a borrow. As a reader, the idea of Kindle Unlimited is amazing. As an author, it is crap. If you want to get exposure, then I guess it's good. But if, if you want to make a decent royalty off it, not so good. So I guess if, if you've got like a 3 or 4 or $5 book in KDP Select, it shows up in Kindle Unlimited, the, the, you know, there you go. It's the amount of royalty you'd get on it when someone buys it is the same as what you'd get if it's in Kindle Unlimited. Power to you. So this book stayed at the top of its charts, you know, the top of Pentecostal books and stuff for basically the remainder of my... 90-day period, basically thanks to Kindle Unlimited. But because you only get like, and it's different every month, right? Like right. you get two right. two point something dollars if somebody borrows it and reads it past 10%. So a borrow is ranked the same way as a sale on Amazon. So my book is continuing to stay like at the top of the charts. But then I basically removed it, kept it at 9.99. And I went to BookBaby where I published it to all of the platforms and it basically tanked and went back to selling about how it did before it was in Kindle Unlimited. So it's kind of like a double-edged sword, you know, uh, and I've seen other books of mine in Kindle Unlimited and, and nothing different happens. But with the Tongues book, because it's like a $10 book, $9.99 book, whatever, um, maybe it's viewed as m more of a deal to borrow it when the monthly cost of Kindle Unlimited is that price, and it's one of the books you can get for free. But as an author, it's kind of like, yeah, but it's not really, <laughs> it's not really worth it. It's about it's about the same as traditional publishing royalties. At that, I had a kind of a similar thing going on <laughs> when Amazon decided to launch their Kindle Unlimited program. I was actually in the middle of a paid advertising period. <laughs> I remember you telling that to me when I asked Yeah, you. I was running a Facebook campaign. So I was paying for clicks to get people over to, to purchase the book on Facebook. And so I'm paying uh, <laughs> for this advertising. And all of a sudden, Kindle Unlimited launches, and now people are buying my book for free. They're They're clicking on the Facebook ads. And then they're going to Amazon and getting the book for free, and I'm not getting the royalty. I so can I was see like, how that oh, would this be frustrating. Is, this is not so good. So I wrote to Amazon, and I said, hey, I need to 
disenroll my book from the KDP Select program because I'm running a, a paid ad right now. And I can't be paying Facebook to get ads to people that go and get my book for free. So they disenrolled me. They took me out of the program right away. It was no big deal. But it was kind of interesting. And my wife and I talked a lot about the value of KDP Select and the Kindle Unlimited program. I am not a big fan of it myself. And I have a a number of reasons. It seems to me like Kindle came out with the Unlimited program as a way to compete with other sales and marketing promotions that companies were doing where they were enrolling people in a club. And if you get the subscription, monthly subscription, you can download so many books. And uh, those were, were seem to be doing pretty well. So Kindle says, hey, we have to have that too. Well, how do we entice authors to give their books away for almost nothing? Yeah. Well, it wasn't very enticing. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't very enticing. They basically said if you're enrolled in KDP Select, where you can do the Kindle countdowns or you can do the different programs, now we want to have the right to give your book away for free. We'll we'll reimburse you a little bit for it, but we want to be able to give your books away for free. So I've talked to a number of authors, and some authors have had decent success. Some authors haven't. I am not a big fan of it because I think it, I I really think at the end of the day, what it does is it devalues the work that we are doing as Mm -hmm. authors. It continues and perpetuates this idea that's out there that we should be giving our work away for free. I I had a long discussion on Facebook with Michael Van Vlyman and some other people. I think I had had a dream where the Lord illustrated the idea that we are devaluing our community and we're devaluing what we're doing for a living. I mean, some of us are trying to make a living selling books. My goal is to stop working as a paramedic and to be a full-time writer where I can pour myself into doing this. But if I am not making any money doing it, that's going to be really hard for me to make that transition. A significant number of people will not buy your book until it's available for free. I know. <laughs> and I think that is, that's a very difficult thing to, to wrestle with because we've created this culture where people expect things for free. Right. And I am very grateful for people who are willing to pay the fair rate for something that I produce because it's valuable to them and they don't mind supporting me as an author and they see my time as valuable. It's a little bit difficult when you're talking with people who insist that your work is not worth them paying for. Right. And I, I, I agree 100% with you. And then I'm struggling as a reader where I know my budget and I love to read and I too pay attention to when books are on sale, when books are free. Yeah. Um, there's some books, I, I have a, a long wish list and the point of the wish list is more like just to bookmark books. And then when I've got some spending money, go you know, go figure out on that, on that list, you know, the, okay, I'll, I'll read this one now. So I, I try to buy books. Um, but you know what's interesting, like you just said about that with, with people devaluing your books, is whenever someone says to me that I need to make my books available for free, I remind them that I blog and make a podcast, and that's a buttload of free content. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. If they want to complain that uh, – that I well, should make my stuff free. I'm already giving a lot of stuff, teaching, whatever, yeah, away mean, for that's free. That's the thing. Like you and I, what what are we doing? <laughs> we're taking our blog posts and we're repackaging them as books. If you except don't for my to, one book, yeah. Except <laughs> for your one book. But for the most part, most of us take our content, we put it out there as blog posts. 
and then we aggregated and put it in as a book. Now, I did not do that with Seeing in the Spirit, but I'm going to, releasing excerpts from the book as time goes on. And over the course of the next year, I'll have most of the book out there available as free content. So if somebody doesn't want to pay, you know, 10 bucks for my Kindle book, that's fine. You can just read my blog posts. The, the healing book, I think there are 28 chapters in my healing book and at least 20 or 21 of the chapters, all of the most important ones are available on my website as articles. There's links to all of them. You can read them all sequentially if you want to. I, I don't have a problem putting out free content for people. But I do have an issue with people demanding that we make all of our stuff available for free and not expect any return for it because, holy moly, it takes a lot of time to write a book. And they would typically never feel that way about their own profession. You're a Christian real estate agent. You know, why don't you give houses away for free? Right. You're a construction You're a con, uh, construction worker. Why don't you build that church for free? Because, you know, it's for ministry. Like, there's so there's such it's, – it's weird when it comes to, like, the arts – you're talking music, uh, right. books, and, and whatever. That seems to be the realm that people expect free. Not even not even just like in the Christian kind of way of looking at it, but with any other work. They understand it. Yeah, they understand a worker's worth is uh, wages. A, a work. Yeah, a worker's wages. You know, they understand that they they can't afford to do something for free, so they wouldn't. But then, you know, I'm not saying that somebody says this because they want your book for free. But uh, I think you were in that discussion where I posted something <laughs> on Facebook that yeah. like asking an author when their book is going to be free, it's like asking an artist to autograph a burned copy of their CD that you didn't pay for. It's like you just yeah. don't do that. Yeah. And, I, and I was surprised how many people came in to defend that type of thing. Well, Keith Green gave his music away for free and then somebody else said, no, actually he didn't. He would let people who couldn't afford it. He would, you know, he would give his music away for right. free to them. Uh, right. Just stuff like that. This, this it's an entitlement mentality. And uh, I wish I could say that what I'm about to say is not true, but it seems like we were really guilty of that in the Christian kind of in the in the church yeah. more than it's a cultural of it. thing that we've all been in, had ingrained in our mind. I had to have my wife kind of go through some psychotherapy with me to get that out of my brain because I could not see the value of, you know, artists and creative people like painters and writers and musicians, do they really have a right to charge for what it is that they're producing? Well, you know, they're using their talents, they're using their time, they're using their gifts. My wife went to the store, she's a painter, she bought some pastels to do some paintings. Go to an art supply store and price good quality pastels. They are insanely expensive. And canvases, there's a lot of money that goes into producing painting, and she's hoping to start selling her paintings, but there's a lot of money that goes into that, mm -hmm. and yet there is still this mentality out there that people would essentially expect her to be giving it away for free. And right. I think we have a ways to go in educating ourselves about the value of our time and our efforts and our talents. It, hopefully I, I, the discussion will will move forward. I think because Kindle is doing their Kindle Unlimited business model, they're taking after things like Spotify for music and, and right. Netflix for movies and stuff where uh, you pay a flat fee. Or in the case of Spotify, there's a lot of music you can listen to for free. <laughs> and then the, the end result is, uh, in the case of music, artists don't make almost anything. I don't know if you saw in the news or whatever how Taylor Swift removed herself from Spotify because it's like she makes nothing off of all these people listening to her music. 
And Spotify tried to do the whole, no, 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 come back. But then just a few weeks ago, I saw that they tripled their losses in the last year. Like with all the licensing and payouts and things they have to do, they're actually operating at a deficit. And mm, that's interesting. Tri- and tripled their uh, losses this year. So yeah. I don't know how the business model that they operate on will keep going forward because and or Amazon themselves, how Jeff Bezos is always coming out saying how like, well, we're not actually making money or, you know, our shareholders haven't gotten their money back yet. So there's all these things where it's like, I wonder how long, you know, the camel can keep carrying all those straws before its back breaks. And so I don't know how, how this whole unlimited model for books is going to work or if it'll keep working in the future. Well, I'm, I watch Netflix, so I don't know, but, but I know they have all these licensing things and whatnot worked out that... They, they do profit in some way. And so I think, I think we've conditioned people to pay a fee to get content or get entertainment that I don't, I don't know how easy it will be to change people's minds anytime soon yeah. or get people to unlearn that when it comes to reading. You know, I look at how much I read. You know, if I had to pay $10 for each of these books, it's still cheaper than buying the print version of all these books. I, that, you know, I, I don't know how I do it on my budget. I think it's awesome when authors discount their work. And I need to say this. I have always made my books available for free to anyone who contacts me and says, hey, I really love your writing. I really would like to get this book, but I cannot afford to buy it. I have always sent someone a complimentary ebook file or PDF file of the book if they want it for free. As um, do I. It just yeah. happens probably more rarely than Yeah, it, does. it doesn't happen a lot, but I do have people who contact me. I had a, re- a friend recently who said, you know, I really love your writing and all that, but I can't afford to buy your books because I'm broke. I'm a single mom. I'm not working. And I said, give me your address and I'll send you a couple of books. And I sent a friend two paperback copies of uh, the last two books I wrote because she wanted them and couldn't afford them. So, I mean, it's not like I have a problem giving to people who are in need or who want or have a great desire, especially if it's a person who I know in their heart is interested in the subject and they're going to learn from it. I know there are a lot of people who read my books because maybe the book is a popular subject or they feel like it's something they're supposed to read or they like my writing style or whatever. But at the end of the day, they read my book and they're not going out and doing anything that I've taught them in the book. It doesn't make any change in their life. Their life is not transformed and made any different by the fact that they read my book. And my books are training and equipping. If you're just reading a book for entertainment value, that is really, really difficult for me to wrap my brain around. So I encourage people to go out and do this stuff. I'm giving you examples of how you can go out and see people healed, how you can go out and give prophetic words. Take these examples and start doing this stuff. And I get so many people who are just like, you know, I can't do that. That's not for me. That's for gifted people. That's I'm not in that category that you are I'm like no, but you, didn't you, you take are. the time in your book didn't you take the time in your book to explain how that's oh the my case? gosh <laughs> if i if i told you one thing in the book it's i'm not a special person you're just like me and you can do this stuff so get out there and do it and i still have all these people who say well you know that's not really me i'm not really a superstar gifted person and i just oh, it drives me crazy but i love the people I love all of them, but I really enjoy connecting with the people who read my book and go, wow, that book seriously provoked me, and I know I have to start doing this stuff. So 
Can you show me? Can you tell me? Can you teach me? Can you give me more information? For those people, all my time is your time. I will pour my life into you. I'll tell you as much as I can. I will hang out with you. We'll have some video chats, whatever you want, because I like mentoring people. But I really like connecting to those people who are passionate and stirred up. And they're the people who say, you know what? Me too. I want to do this stuff. Is that something that you kind of wrestle with too? Um, well, because my healing book wasn't a how-to manual, it was more like a let me let me convince you, let me change your mind, let me right. you know. I view it as like an entry-level book into the subject. You're essentially trying to evangelize cessationists, aren't you? Yes and no. Because my background was in that type of church, and I heard all the yeah arguments against it and rumors of people who allegedly are like that in the charismatic church and stuff, or they don't take medicine because they believe in faith healing. I had this particular appreciation for people who are open-minded and in that kind of situation. And I think before I started writing, there was an experience I had in uh, Pensacola. Uh, I went to Fire School of Ministry in Pensacola, for, uh, and I went on a mission trip north into North Carolina. We were doing some kind of door-to-door, not evangelism, but like inviting people to something. I forget what it was. And I met a guy and, and his wife, and they were burnt and worn out with church. And somehow in the conversation, I, I remember they were from like a, an evangelical or Baptist type of church. And we were, we were chatting, we were talking. And when um, all of a sudden done, like we prayed for them to, to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. So like a month or two later, the guy who was running uh, the trip we went on, uh, he contacted me and told me how that couple came and they said they really appreciated that, that Canadian guy because we have had people who um, they find out we don't speak in tongues or we're, we're, you know, not charismatic. And then it's like we're their project. And this guy was just chatting with us and, and made sense and, and dismantled some of our ideas and, and was just not going for anything. He was just talking to us, befriending us. I remember that always sticking out in my mind. Like, I want to be that guy. I don't want to just try to convince you of something I'm saying, but I would rather that you can go away and go, okay, well, I appreciate that he listened to me or took the time or whatever. And so I've, I've always tried to write that way or come across that way if possible in writing from having come out of like a cessationist type of church background, getting filled in the Holy Spirit and experiencing things that they would tell you are not for today and whatever. It's like I feel like that has tempered my zeal to have patience with people who aren't there yet. Uh, and so, so yeah, that, it, that does play a big role in my worldview of, of how I try to write these things. I feel like I'm I'm always coming at it from that angle or that, that it does have a part in, okay, if somebody from this church picks up this book, I want them to not be able to say, uh, it's just more charismatic fluff. And that incidentally has happened. Like somebody wrote my, wrote like a one or two star review on the healing book and, and called me like over the top uh, <laughs> as far as charismatic stuff goes. And I was like, I've never been called that before. That's cute. And like, I, I've, yeah, that was new. Okay, so, you know, maybe that person didn't didn't receive how I was trying to write uh, through that, that particular book. But that's what I'm going for anyway. That's what I'm, tr- that's what I'm trying. Yeah. Like, if somebody is 100% against what I'm saying, I don't want them to feel I'm very combative when they're right. reading it. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does so. make sense. And I, I think there's a lot of value in that. As I grow a little older... I'm more inclined to write from a perspective of if you are one of those readers who has ears to hear what I'm saying, 
this is going to bless you and challenge you and encourage you. If you're not one of those people that has ears to hear, that's okay. The message isn't for you. And I think there's a lot of wisdom in writing that way. I think a lot of times we're too combative in our theology and we want to just bash people into believing our way is the right way. And I, I don't know that there's a lot of uh, wisdom in doing that. Right. And, and if I can use the tongues book as another example, um, when I had the proofreaders, like that initial phase of, of I just gotten this edited and I'm giving it to proofreaders, the type of feedback I got from people was that you can put yourself in my shoes a lot when you're reading my stories. In, In this case, like how many of us have, had really overzealous charismatics slapping us around, praying for us, <laughs> casting demons out of us, trying to get us filled, and just getting ticked off that we're not speaking in tongues. And so we, we try to fake it, or we don't fake it, and that just aggravates them, and they, they, you know, they want you to confess sin, or like whatever silly, nonsensical stuff has happened. Like I remember my friend Charles, when we were teenagers, <laughs> um, he hated the Pentecostals. And there was some girl he liked, and he went to her church with her, and afterwards, um, somebody encouraged him or, or shoved him forward. It wasn't an altar call, but it was like uh, for people who haven't received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and uh, want to speak in tongues. And he didn't really want any of this, but like <laughs> was just kind of like being shoved forward. And yeah. he came, I remember him come back going, I'm never going to that church again, man. They were like, you know, spitting and, and, and yelling and, and whatever and, and, and just, you know, suffocating me. <laughs> you know, it was like, and, and one guy was like, just confess. Confess all your sins, boy. Confess, you know, and he's like, I'm not a sinner. I mean, I'm saved. I know Jesus. And I remember him sharing the story. He's like, I'm never going there again. Uh, and, you know, years later, he's, he's, you know, involved in a charismatic church now. But, you know, and I remember those friends who overzealously wanted to get me filled and would get annoyed when it wasn't happening. And, and then, you know, the things I learned for like, ah, well, this is not how you go about it. And so I, I just remember like that is how I came about like writing this. And pe- so people who read it would say to me, like people who were proofreading it in that initial phase said, you know what, what I liked about this book more than your other ones is how I can put myself in your shoes because I've had almost the exact same things happen. There's a lot more humor. Like, cause let's face it, speaking in tongues is a pretty funny subject. <laughs> think about it, <laughs> it is. You know? Yeah. Well, that's good. I mean, we all have these uh, perspectives that we develop through experiences in our lives that shape us into who we are. I have a couple more subjects I want to talk about, if you still have the time. I do. Why don't we shift gears and go into talking about content marketing and email lists? Okay. How have your experiences been so far with blogging and, and being a writer? And Loaded question, because I feel like I'm still learning. I, I feel like I keep throwing things at the wall to see what sticks. Um, email list. I learned about that a couple of years ago and I, I'm not particularly impressed. I don't have as large of a, of a emailing list as I, I thought I would obtain by now. If, you know, every time I write something or I send something out, I, I will get two or three or four responses. I'll get people who, who write me back and, and I try to maintain that communication. Like I've noticed this every time I learn some new thing for how to get email subscribers. I try it, you know, place the thing here or have a pop-up or do whatever on your site. It always starts off good for like two or three weeks and then it kind of dies down. I don't know if it's like ad blindness or whatever, but everything I've ever tried, I feel like, oh, wow, it looks like this will be the new way I I go about doing that (laughs) with with, with list building. And then it it disappears. Like, for example, um, 
in all of my books, I've been putting a thing at the front where people could get a free audiobook, um, the audio version of Increase Your Faith, when they sign up for my newsletter list. And so every time I've done a free promotion, I would get new signups, you know, because typically when I'm doing a free giveaway, uh, that could be a few thousand people who download the book and, and then maybe like 80 or 90 people sign up for my mailing list. But each time I've done it, I've been getting diminished returns, you know, and I don't know if it's from a lot of people download the book and they don't read it for a while because, you know, like this culture we've created. of Hey, it's uh, a free book. It's just another right. free book on my Kindle among yeah. the 300 I haven't read yet. Exactly. And, so that's, I don't know. and that's one of the real you know, problems is that when people get something for free, it's not necessarily something they're going to want to invest a lot of their time in because right. it's free. Yeah. Well, in, in years past or a year past, um, for me, it, it's not free. It's like I'm giving the book away and some people will sign up for my mailing list as a result of having gotten this book free. Right. But that's happened fewer and farther in between now. Uh, I get way more signups from my blog. And I know this from from a few things, like I have a thing set up where in MailChimp, I can see if the person came to the list from Facebook or if they came from an external source and if that source is my blog or the book or, you know, and so I've noticed whenever I have like a post go viral or Al Mack shares something of mine <laughs> or something like that, right? <laughs> <laughs> then, and, and I get like hundreds of hits on, on a, a blog post. Then it's on those occasions I get like noticeably more signups, like four or five maybe in a day and uh, which I hear from different marketers is pitiful, you know, like they talk about having like 10 a day and stuff. So, so I think I do below average on signups. And again, like every time I, I learn a new method, I give it a shot and I'm, in, I'm impressed at first and then it dies down <laughs> every time. And Jeremy Mankersheen and I were talking about this offline after the last time I podcasted with him and I was telling him the same thing. And that was before whatever I'm doing now that, died down as well. And at the same time, my open rate has gradually gone down too compared to back in the day. Uh, I don't know if people sign up for stuff like, oh, free audiobook, and then it's kind of like whatever. So, I mean, for me, it's more of an art form than a science, and it's an evolving art form, I guess. And then even things that I learn from people like, oh, this is, the, this is what, what works for me and it's the best thing that's ever worked for me. Then I go check out those guys like a year later and they're doing something else anyway. So it's like yeah. even the people I learn these different things from change their mind and, you know. Yeah. Well, as much as you're a beginner, I'm even worse of a beginner because I have no idea what I'm doing with this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to be honest. You know, all the gurus say, oh, you got to be doing content marketing. You got to have a good email, you know, source. You got to be with this and you have to have that. And you got to build the list and it's all about this and that. And I've listened to those messages and some of the people that I, I follow are still just hammering that build that email list, build that email list. And I don't know. I'm not convinced. I think in some respects that is a good strategy for uh, building a following and a good strategy. If you're really trying to you know run a business and get more subscriptions and get things out in people's hands and make purchases and whatever, I think it can work. I posed the question on Facebook as a discussion question about a month ago. Holy moly, probably 85 to 90% of the people who responded on this question said they find those little email pop-up sign-up things annoying. Some people will leave the site immediately if they see one. 
Some people will not go back to the site. If it pops up while they're reading, they'll immediately close it. There's a lot of antagonism and hostility and not so happy vibes about those pop-up things asking for your email address. A lot of people resent the fact that you're right away asking for their private information. I didn't realize how much hostility there was toward them, at least from the small section of people that I had responded. I probably had, I don't know, 80 or 90 people respond on the on the thread. And there was a couple of people who said, I don't mind them. They're okay. I understand what they're doing, or I don't mind giving them my email if I really like their content. But there was a lot of <laughs> negative feedback about that stuff. Years ago, when people first started doing it, it was an occasional thing, a novelty. Now, every website I go to has one. Everywhere I go, boom, it's the first thing you see. Or the people are smart and they're using Sumo Me. It eventually sneaks in. If you move your mouse cursor left, right, or up, or down, eventually it'll show up there. I, I'm using Sumo Me. Are you? Yeah. I have it on installed, but I don't use it right now. Right. Um, I've got the settings where it's not supposed to show up the instant there's a new visitor, but it's like the smart uh, version where it determines like the best time it thinks, right. you know, after they've been on the site a few minutes or if they're leaving or uh, that kind of stuff. I don't, I don't know. I, I look at what some writers, some authors do and what they're giving away and take my cues more from that than marketers. And, you know, I try to like, I, I make it clear you're getting this from me and this is about how often I think I'm going to be writing you. Like I try to have the, the that little blurb clear or if they go to the link to sign up and it says like, this is who I am, this is what you're getting. And there's the the tick marks, you know, you can get my newsletters, you can get my weekly, like Saturday mornings, all my blog posts in your inbox. Like I have these options like that. And I, so I'm trying to take my cues more from why I sign up for things or have signed up for things more than the marketers. And I hope I'm not annoying the snot out of people, but <laughs> you know, like you said, <laughs> you know, you 80, know. To 80 to 90%. And I don't know if it's like, if that's high or if that's a, a certain percentage or a certain type of people who decided to answer your question. Yeah. Um, you know, because I think we express ourselves more harshly on Facebook. You know, something could be just be like a passive annoyance, but then on Facebook, we'll talk about it like it's this bigger deal than it is. Like, it's like I see something, click, don't want it. But it's like, that's it, right? There's not a lot to it. Maybe I'll leave. Maybe I won't. I don't know. But it's like on Facebook, oh, I'll vo I can voice my opinion and, and share. I hate that, you know, or, or how, however I want to write them, you know? <laughs> so it's like I don't, I don't know, but it is good to know, like, you know? Yeah, I, I don't know what to make of that survey other than I think it, probably suggested people should be cautious. You should do a pop-up survey of what people think of pop-up surveys. Yes, I, I'll probably have to get right on that if I can figure out how to do the pop-up survey way. Right. Oh, gosh. Would you discuss a little bit how you handle Amazon book reviews, negative ones and things of that nature? I don't know how other authors do it, but I don't lose sleep over it. Because, for example, the only one-star review that the Tongues book has, the reviewer admits to not having actually read the book. So right away, this person disqualifies themselves from having their opinion taken seriously. Right. <laughs> you know? right. Um, the healing book, that, that's where the, the people who have, have given negative reviews give me more thoughtful, careful explanations. I read them. Uh, I know some authors say you're supposed to answer and... 
uh, be gracious. I just write them back and tell them where to go and what to do with themselves. No, just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. But I mean, like, if I decide to respond, I do it graciously. So, like, for example, that guy that didn't read the book, it's like, well, how can you review a book if you didn't read it? And like, you know, that's about all I have to say, Uh, because I cover what you say. This book you think doesn't cover or whatever. If you would read it, you'd know. Other another person, they wrote this big, long, detailed explanation of what they hated about my book. And some of it was worth taking to heart, you know, like uh, where I contradict myself here. And it's like, ah, I do remember one of my proofreaders telling me I should kind of explain this point better because it looks like I'm contradicting myself over there. Okay, uh, I get it. I should have done that, you know, but I don't let it eat my lunch. I don't know if I've ever seen a negative review on your books whenever I've looked. Oh, in, there in are the past. some. <laughs> uh, like the one with I did see the one about the craziest adventures. And yeah. the lady was. It was uh, so was funny. Like, <laughs> My wife read that review and go, "There's no such thing as an yeah. atheist paramedic." I I, just, I actually just looked at that today because I was like, you know, just kind of sitting here waiting for our, our talk. I, I listened to people like Seth Godin and Jeff Goins talk about how you can't run your life based on the one star. I've not right. written anything yet that was so not well received that it got more negative star reviews than they did positive. Like I've not had that happen yet. I don't know, to see how that feels or, or what you go through when that happens. But I find them helpful. I find more often than not, I try to get something out of it instead of just going, well, this person's a cessationist. So, of course, they didn't. There, I try to see what they're saying, you know, take it to the Lord if I need to. And, you know, like it's it's usually in my earlier books, the, the faith and the healing one. Some people caught the bad punctuation. There you go. OK, I take that. I process it. I make sure to, to edit my books better. And then I try to get something out of it. And if it's just an absolute crap review, like the one-star review that's on um, the healing book or the tongues book, I, 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 I <laughs> this is probably bad of me to admit. But one time I posted the review like on Facebook. I said, look at this. Somebody's giving me this one-star <laughs> review without re- I don't want to mention the, the author, but I know an author who I unsubscribed from his mailing list because Every time he got a one-star or a negative review on his book, he would email us and be like, can you go deal with it and whatever. And his book was a particularly controversial book that he sh- should have expected uh, to get flack. And I just – it's like I don't care. So I don't, I don't, I don't do this every time. I don't was go he to, asking I, people to go on there and mark the review as not helpful so that it would yes. go farther down the list? Yes. Yeah. And I, th- I think there's a time and a place for that. I don't, I don't go to my, my list or my Facebook or something. Every time I don't like a review. But with the guy who reviewed my book negatively without having read it, I was like, look at this. You know what I mean? Like I was more humored by it than I was offended. And uh, so I did that. And a few people went and commented and got into an argument with him and stuff. And and I don't know that I should have done that because some of the comments were really, ah, this guy's uh He's unteachable and he can't, you know, and they were, they were kind of mean to him. And I, I, I didn't want that or I didn't want to send that kind of thing his way i think it was a man it could have been a woman i don't know and uh, that's the nature of amazon reviews you can be anonymous if you want so but i do downvote nasty reviews because if if they're not really about the book or they're just some kind of personal attack or something then they're worth downvoting you know and i do that to my friends i do that to my uh, when i see that happen on other people's books or that what about what about you (laughs) you know yeah I, i think i have the same perspective. I don't have a lot of negative reviews, but every once in a while, somebody comes flying in the radar and they have some issue. And I kind of break negative reviews into a couple of categories. 
one, if it's a person who hasn't read the book and they're just a bored person who's surfing Amazon and they want to go talk trash about if some Pentecostals and they do a little rant, um, I don't even pay attention to those reviews. Mm-hmm. You know, I note it. I'm like, oh, okay, whatever. Somebody's having a bad day. The other type of review is a person who has read the book but doesn't agree with my perspective on things. I had a recent, it was a three-star is the worst review I've had on seeing in the spirit made simple. And the guy just didn't agree with my perspective. He read the book, but he did not like the fact that I used a lot of testimonies and Mm. personal experiences. He didn't feel like I included enough scripture. And so he took exception with some style things of the book and the way I presented my arguments. Um, He also essentially felt that Jesus and the kingdom of God is way simpler, and it can't be as complicated as I'm making it sound. So, I mean, just kind of a different theological perspective. And with that type of a reviewer, I don't really know a whole lot that I can do to help them. I don't know that responding back to them is going to to make much of a difference. It's just one of those things where I think we always have to agree to disagree. Again, I I realize that the stuff that I write is not everyone's cup of tea, and and that's fine. Um, Or coffee. Or coffee. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I probably need some coffee. Um, and then there is the negative review where the person has some real legitimate things where they bring up, like you said. I did have this one woman who wrote a review on uh, Craziest Adventures with God, and she was annoyed to death about my improper use of commas. <laughs> right. And I mean, she didn't re- review it like really badly. Um, I think it was a three or a four star review. She didn't like mark it as one star and go off on a tangent. She just said, oh, my gosh, would you please learn how to use commas? <laughs> you know, so those those reviews, I like you. I'm like, okay, cool. Good point. Yes, I was not on my game with punctuation on this book. That's something I need to do better on next time. Sometimes what we'll do, and we get typos that people you know, review, immediately I'll go and, and fix the ebook file and upload a new version with the typos that are corrected so that right. we can avoid that stuff. At the front of every one of my books so far to date, I have an email address. I invite people to contact me when they find typos, and I say I, I won't be offended or whatever. And I think most people respect that because I get emails with the typos more often than I get the one star review of this book had typos in it, you know? So I don't know. I think even when people disagree with the book, they tend to still be generous that way. And if they want to have a beef with the typo, you know, at first when the healing and the faith book, when they came out for the first month or so, I was getting emails and then it dies down. And with the tongues book, like one person ever has contacted me with a typo they found. And I'm like, well, that's that's a testimony. But that doesn't mean there are not. It just means nobody has bothered to contact me if there are. Yeah, you know. You know. Um, I was going to ask you, do you know whether when people are leaving you really bad reviews, it's people who've paid for the book or people who've gotten it for free or whatever? The reason I ask is because the, the kind of three-star or negative you know, reviews I get for any of my books, it's almost always like a week after having just done a free promotion. The the Facebook has a couple of recent three-star reviews that are like, uh, didn't wow me or something. And that's like all they say. Or, um, you know, I didn't like the author's readings or the author's style of writing. Okay, well, some more about that would have been helpful. Yeah, I think um, that's true. After I do a promotion like we did with Divine Healing, our last big promotion on that, we gave away like 2,000 copies in like a week. 
And it was right after that that <laughs> some negative reviews started showing up. So yeah, I mean, when you start giving away the book to people who aren't paying for it, it's going to reach a larger audience. and You're not going to have as sympathetic reviews, I think, as you would for people who are actually paying for it. Right. And like I tell people, I love and hate that people can review whatever they want on Amazon. The hate part is that people can, you know, write a negative review of my book uh, when they haven't <laughs> read it. But what I love about it is like when I see people share on Facebook or something like gummy bear reviews and stuff like that. Oh, where, my like, people gosh. Are... <laughs> so hilarious. <laughs> well, um, I, I don't know how I came across it. Uh, I can't find it again for the life of me. But there was this link I found about like the worst rated books on Amazon. Okay. And there was, and there was, sorry, there was one <laughs> called moon people. It's a science fiction book, right? Okay. And, um, the best rated negative review for that book said, I still don't know how to moon people. Nobody told me this wasn't a, <laughs> this wasn't a how to manual. And I'm like, I love that. You know, like I have a love hate relationship with it. And, um, the uh, I mean, the review yeah. of the sugar free gummy bears though is a classic. <laughs> whoever's interested, I will leave a link in the podcast notes so you can go check it out. It's an Amazon classic. Everyone should read at least one or two of the reviews. Right. I mean, it, it, it's pretty repetitive after that, but it's it's yeah. hilarious. It goes it goes around in waves. I find on Facebook, yeah. and somebody discovers it, and it goes viral again. And you know, yeah, that's that's how Facebook is. It has been awesome talking to you. I've learned a few things. I'm really glad I have a guy like you who is as passionate about writing as I am that I can talk about these things with because it's something that I think is a really important subject. I think the Lord is breathing on this thing with people publishing their books, and I think there's going to be more people that are going to be stirred up to publish books. And these kinds of conversations, I think, people will find really helpful. Yeah, I agree. And, and that's why I did a podcast of my own recently about writing. And we, we talked about blogging in particular. And for the listener's benefit, um, I posted something on Facebook and, and Praying Medic here uh, said, hey, well, I'd love to talk to you about writing if that doesn't work out. And so the way it worked out is to, to sit down and, and talk about it on his podcast. But we could easily still go hours and hours more. But I appreciate you having me on your podcast because that means I don't have to edit it and do all that stuff myself if it were mine. <laughs> but um, I need to get going but thanks for having me All right, and I appreciate it alright God bless talk to you later well folks that is our show for today I hope you enjoyed it thanks for dropping by if you're new to the podcast and you haven't been to my website you might drop by and check out the articles I have there if you have any questions or comments about this show you can contact me at admin at prayingmedic.com that's A-D-M-I-N at prayingmedic.com you can also contact me on Twitter. I'd like to thank you again for dropping by. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you'd like to learn more about Steve, you can go to his personal website, stevebremner.com. You can also find his books and other resources on fireonyourhead.org.